everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Adrian. We uh, welcome you to church today. And if you're a newcomer especially, thanks for giving us a try here on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas. And uh, those watching online, we welcome you as you join us right now also. I, I wonder, as I see a number of kids in the room right now, and I know there are many, many more downstairs right now. Do, do you know how many kids... We provide children's ministry for each Sunday at Carnegie Free Church. Between about 275 and 300 each Sunday. It's a, a huge, huge ministry, and we are so grateful for all the kids that we see from nursery through um, uh, fifth grade. And uh, I guess the more important question would be, do you know how many volunteers that takes to do that? About 75 to 80 volunteers each and every week to enable a great experience for those uh, 300 or so kids as they come into this church. And if you're a part of kids ministry in any way, shape, or form, thank you. Thank you, thank you for making this such, yeah, we can clap for them. You know, I want to just piggyback on what Sarah said for a moment, but because many of our volunteers choose to take a little break from their uh, service to ch children's ministry during the summer. Some continue on through the summer because they love it, but others need a little break for a couple months for any number of different reasons over the summer. And so if you're here today and you've not yet found your area of ministry service, your area of mission to this church, uh, I want to let you know that there's a good opportunity here the, this summer to help out with kids ministry and just kind of take a test drive with it. Very, very low commitment. I want to tell you a little bit more about that. There's opportunity for every single age from nursery through fifth grade right now, as well as our Loving Hands ministry, which is a one-on-one -on -one ministry to kids with special needs who attend our church. And our staff team provides all the curriculum, the crafts, the activities, the teaching materials for teachers and helpers and leaders of all different kinds. You simply need to show up with a big smile and love kids for 75 minutes per week. Wow, we're setting the bar pretty high here, aren't we? Okay, that's what we need is a handful more people to do that on a Sunday morning to enable us to never turn away a family because we don't have the right ratios on Sunday morning. And can I just tell you as pastor here, Tragically, in the past couple months, we've sometimes had to turn away a couple families. We never want to do that because we don't have enough volunteers. So if you're looking for an easy way to help out and invest in the next generation, this is one way that you can do that. And we have 10 Sundays uh, this summer. If you can't serve all 10, that's fine. We'll, we'll certainly work with you. We're even having opportunities for people to serve every other week for five weeks over the summer. This is a really easy test drive in which you will kind of shadow a leader first before you jump in. And if you have more questions about that, or if you'd like to sign out, up right through these doors, there's a children's ministries kiosk where you can learn more. Well, we want to be a practical and helpful ministry here at Carney Ephraim. And so with that in mind, I thought I would share with you, particularly the men and kids in the audience this morning, who are known to be procrastinators well, when it comes to Mother's Day gifts. I, I want to share with the men and kids here uh, a few gifts of what not to give mom this afternoon. Help
help you out if you haven't yet gotten mom that special something. According to a 2016 British survey, 40% of moms have received an unwanted Mother's Day gift. But most of them were far too polite and kind to complain about it. Here's a partial list of some of the 30 worst Mother's Day gifts that moms have actually received. The number one worst one was deodorant. <laughs> Who did that? <laughs> one mom said she received a fire extinguisher. Third, other moms said they received cleaning supplies. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. You do not want to be that kid. Another mom says she received a stick of French bread. Ants. Ants. Perhaps mom wants an ant farm in the kitchen. Number six, hair dye. Mom, you're getting a little old. I got you some hair dye. <laughs> Number seven, a screwdriver. And my favorite, a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> oh, my. Let's pray for those kids. Oh, Father, please help those kids and help those ridiculous dads who allowed this to happen. Father, we do come before you today, and we thank you for this beautiful day. We're grateful, God, for all the moms and all the grandmas in attendance today. Thankful for all the women here in our church family. And uh, I, I just personally thank you, Lord, uh, for my wife, for my stepmother, for my mom, for my grandmothers who have had such an impact in my life. So grateful for Father, we, we thank you for all the daughters in this room and all the aunties and great-grandmothers and all who would like to be a mother someday. Lord, as has already been noted, this is a tough day for some, and, and we acknowledge that, that there are some in this room who really would like to be a mother, a mother and, and that hasn't happened yet, and there's pain as a result on Mother's Day. And we ask, God, that you, the God of all comfort, would be their comfort right now. We ask, God, as you are the refuge and our help in a time of trouble for those uh, who have struggled as a mother, those who have had great difficulty with sons and daughters, some who have even lost sons and daughters, would you please help them today? You are a refuge, you are a shelter, and we say we need you. Please help these ladies today. And Father, for all of us, we would invite you to teach us from the beauty of your word in 1 Corinthians 15, as we wrap up this series, When Empty Means Full, I have confidence that today's message has something for all of us. And so we invite you to teach us. As we conclude our series and the study of the resurrection of Christ, we would invite you to be front and center for us. And wherever we are spiritually today, whatever we might believe, we're grateful to be together. So we invite you to guide us from right where we are. We thank you, Lord, for receiving our prayers. Amen and amen. I wonder if you believe today that because the tomb is empty, we are actually steadfast. When the tomb is empty, we can endure. When the tomb is empty, we can persevere through whatever we're going through right now. When the tomb is empty, we are actually able to
amidst the pressures and the harsh winds of life, we can rise up again. And I wonder who it was who taught you that, that you could rise up again when you've been knocked down. My guess is for many of us in the room, we were taught that by a mother or a grandmother or perhaps an auntie. As I was preparing this message this past week, I thought often of one of my aunties growing up. I lived close to these cousins, and so I saw this auntie on a regular basis, and she was married early on and had a son and a daughter with her husband, and he became a drug addict. And he never kicked that habit until he died. Then she got remarried a number of years later. And he, un he fortunately was not a drug addict, but he was not a good man either. He was a really bad man in a number of ways. And so he was out of the picture. And so she has these two teenage kids that she's raising by herself all of a sudden. And she keeps getting back up as she's raising these teenagers. And I came to find out as I watched her over the years, I came to find out a little bit later as an adult that her daughter at one point as a teenager began to send Mother's Day cards to her mother and express her gratitude to her mom for all that she did to help her rise up when she was knocked down again and again. And then on Father's Day, she would send Father's Day cards to her mother as well to say, thank you, Mom, for being Mom and for being Dad to me too. My guess is many of us in this room have had that kind of woman in our lives at one point of time or another. And my contention today is that we can have that kind of resolve to get back up after we've been knocked down in the harshest of ways again and again, we can have that kind of resolve to get back up because Jesus got back up. My, my resolve today is because he got back up from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit, we also can rise through whatever trials might come our way because he says that we ultimately will be victorious in Christ. When life drags you down, you get back up. And the reason is simple. Jesus got back up first. His spirit now dwells in us and enables us to get back up when life kicks us. This is the point that he gives. The Apostle Paul gives as he concludes his beautiful theological 58-verse treatise on the resurrection of Jesus and on our future resurrection as well in 1 Corinthians 15, his simple point that Paul is going to make here is this. When the tomb is empty, we stand firm. you got to take this with you today. And we close out this series. You have to take this with you into the summer or whatever suffering might be coming your way in the coming years. Because Lord knows we're either coming out of it, we're right into it, we're going into it. Happy Sunday.
When the tomb is empty, we we stand firm. Let's say that together. When the when the tomb is empty, we stand firm. We stand firm because the tomb of Jesus remains empty. What the Apostle Paul has been doing in this past chapter is simply articulating for his audience in Corinth the implications of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he begins with the basic gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. And just to repeat that, just to reinforce it, the basic gospel message is this. It's the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for all of our failures, whatever they might be. He doesn't rank them. He doesn't rank any of them. He dies for them. Because he dies for them, he invites us in to his family. He dies for all of our failures, and then he rises from the grave, and as a result of all that, he freely pardons sinners like you and me, and that's all of us, every one of us on stage and in the audience today. He freely pardons us, and he says to us, you're welcome into my love. You're welcome into my family. You are welcome into all of my presence. I love you. I care about you. You're welcome. And he redefines the way we would see ourselves, not mostly by our failures or by how other people define us, but that we would see ourselves as saints before God, that he gives us his goodness, so no longer does he see us by our sins or our failures, he sees us as saints before him. Now we've been talking about these different reasons that we have to believe in the resurrection and the implications of it. And we, we have faith in all that Jesus says about himself. And so we trust that he is indeed Lord. And as we trust that he is Lord, then when the tomb is empty, our trust in God is full. That he is who he said he was. He backs up what he says that he will do. We can count on that in our lives too. When the tomb is empty, our trust in God is full. And we looked at this reality that when the tomb is empty, our hope in God is full. Because the resurrection signals the ultimate death of death. That death doesn't have the final word. That our loved ones who have died in Jesus Christ, they still live. They haven't died. They still live. And ultimately, it's the death of all evil that when he returns, he will make all things right again. And last week, while we talked about this truth, that we are in the process of being fully transformed because the tomb is empty. Jesus now transforming us as we lean into him each and every day, as we make a plan to grow with Christ, as we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God every day, he grows us and he changes us from the inside out. That's a very long process, but it begins today and it'll be concluded one day when Jesus returns to, to make all things right. Today we say that death has ultimately lost its sting and we will ultimately be victorious in Christ. His conclusion to this long and beautiful chapter on the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, in which he says simply this. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to take it out and mark it up as we go. We're just looking at a single verse today, but it's so, so powerful. Because of all of that that I just summarized, therefore, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Because of all of that, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always
always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It will have its purpose. God will fulfill what he begins. I, I want to kind of teach on this and mark up a few verses as we go through this passage. And uh, we'll start with this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I would just circle uh, in your Bible these words, brothers and sisters. It's amazing he calls the Corinthian church his brothers and sisters. We've talked about this already in this series, but let me just re reinforce, the Corinthian church was nuts. I mean, it makes our church look like the smoothest, most well-functioning machine you've ever seen. It, it was just a nutty, crazy church, and they believed the most bizarre things. They were mostly practicing hedonists who just lived out that old mantra, eat, drink, and be merry, because then you die. Like, they believed that Jesus died for them, but they didn't yet believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in this ultimate resurrection of the dead or even the resurrection of Jesus. They just weren't there yet out of the Greek culture that they were raised in. On top of that, they were doing these really crazy things like baptizing living people vicariously for dead people just in case there is a resurrection even though we don't believe there's a resurrection and then they were really angry on a regular basis well with the apostle paul so they would lob these angry rotten tomatoes at their pastor thank you for saving your tomatoes for yourself and they would regularly critique him like if you read first and second corinthians carefully you see that a, a lot of it is simply Paul defending the validity of his ministry to a church that has charged him repeatedly, we're not following you, and we're critiquing you, and we don't believe in you. And enter into all of that, Paul says, in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that you are mean-spirited Christians, fortunately, that's a thing of the past, Even though you are mean-spirited Christians, he says to this Corinthian audience, and I wasn't talking to you, that's not you, okay? Please save the emails, that's not you. Uh, but even though you're mean-spirited Christians, he says to the Corinthians, I still know that you believe that Jesus died for you, that you believe that he is your Lord and your Savior, and so I call you... My dear brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, not by your own strength, but just as God the Father rose Jesus Christ from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will rise you up through whatever dark, grave-like experience you might be going through today. He can make you endure. He can give you perseverance. You ask, well, how? How is God going to do that? How is God going to help me stand firm? Well, fortunately, again, you're looking at your passage here, verse 58. Paul goes on to explain to us that we can stand firm on the basis of those first 57 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, but also we stand firm on the basis of these two statements. Number one, he says, let nothing move you. Underline your Bible, let nothing move you. Then he's going to say number two, in a little bit we'll get to this, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. 
these two ways. Number one, you choose to let nothing move you as you are standing firm in the Lord. Now, I know that's a really interesting statement to moms in 2019. I mean, what could possibly alter a mother's balance here in our contemporary culture? Not much. Just insecurity from within myself. Just lots of extra advice from outside, from mom and dad. Just comparison from friends and gossip from fake friends. Nothing much. What could move you, mom? Just violent video games and Netflix and Snapchat. Nothing much. Just rap music or country music or rock music or pop music or grunge music or heavy metal music. Nothing much. Just school shootings and drugs and alcohol and competing world religions, sibling rivalry, friendship squabbles, and my own marriage struggles too. What could move you, mom? Nothing much. To say nothing much about too much meat or too many carbs, too many preservatives, too much sugar, too many politicians, too many extracurricular activities, too many politicians, too much bullying, too much social media, too much social media and too much social media, or too much sunscreen or too little sunscreen, we now learn it's possible to have too much sunscreen too. I mean, what could possibly move you here in 2019, Mom? Not much, right? It's tough being a mom today. Like, we live in a culture that just cultivates fear over danger that seemingly is everywhere, but we live in this 24-7 news cycle that exposes it to us all the time. Several weeks ago, I had the pleasure of attending a local fundraising banquet for one of our great local ministries and there was a man by the name of Jeff Kemp who was speaking at this particular banquet and he was an NFL quarterback for 10 years or so and now he does uh, speaking tours to different places well wonderful Christian man and he's talking about how you respond to the blitzes of life that end up coming our way and he gave this great illustration he shared that in Chinese the word for crisis listen to this in Chinese, the word for crisis is the smashing together of two other words. And the two other words that it smashes together are danger and opportunity. Isn't that profound? The word for crisis is danger and opportunity smashed together. And this is life. We go through these crises and as we go through them, all we see is the danger or the, the fear or what could go wrong in the midst of this. But on the other side, isn't there always opportunity as well? It strikes me that this is what it is to be a mom, to see that though there's danger in front of my kids, yet at the same time, there are incredible opportunities for them as well. Now, some of us, unfortunately, men and women, are focused only on the danger, and as a result, we feel really wobbly today and it becomes difficult to stand firm we're being moved constantly some of us are so scared of what could happen to our kids that we've lost all excitement about what could happen through our kids let me say it again some of us are so scared about what could happen to our kids in this culture that we've lost all excitement of what the great god of heaven might choose to do through our kids for this hurting world. And if you're going to stand firm and not be overcome by danger and fear, 
then you've got to have an anchor. And our anchor is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the anchor for our marriages. It's the anchor for our parenting. It's the anchor for being a great employee. It's the anchor for being a servant to the world. It's the anchor that we must come back to in every dark place that we encounter day in and day out. Some of y'all are kind of uh, relying on Sunday mornings off of your spiritual health. Can I tell you that I am not a good enough preacher for you to rely on Sunday morning only? No preacher is. You could be listening to Billy Graham every Sunday and it wouldn't be enough. But we need to preach to ourselves the truths of the gospel on a day-in and day-out basis and then live out of the death of Jesus and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that that provides, the courage, the victory that that provides. We need to live out of that on a daily basis. If you're in the habit of just kind of relying on Sunday morning for your spiritual health, can I give you the, this assignment? Would you go back over the past four weeks of messages as we've talked about the core of our faith and would you just review what we've talked about? Spend a couple days, just maybe two days a week, reviewing that over the course of the next couple weeks, and then strengthen yourself, come back to this anchor of the core of the gospel, and then you will feel a whole lot less wobbly on a day-in and day-out basis. This is the good news, not just for Sunday morning. This is the good news for every single day. Uh, I love the way the prophet Jeremiah put it. He says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots down to the stream, and thereby it grows to a renewed strength and a renewed courage and a renewed hope, and it does not fear when the heat of life comes our way. That's called taking your stand and letting nothing move you because the roots of your life are going down to the streams of living water not one day a week but every day of the week let's go back to this passage if i can do this oh there we go okay so number one let nothing move you always give yourself to the work of the lord number two always give yourself to, to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Again, I encourage you to highlight that in your Bible and consider the mean of this, to always give ourselves to the work of the Lord. What does that mean, to do that? Does it mean you need to do what I do? You need to take on a clerical collar? You need to become a missionary? What if I told you the main work of the Lord that God gives to most of us is our work as husbands and wives mothers and fathers it's not the only work but I want to tell you today that the main thing that God gives to us with the main people that we get to influence on a daily basis our work of the Lord is primarily with the handful of people that God has put in our home on a daily basis one of the most frequent questions though, that I get is about calling how do I find my calling Adrian how do I find the Lord's will for my life 
And this is what I try to explain people. I've put this up on the screen one time before. But, but this is the simplest way that I can answer that question. How do you find your calling? How do you find the will of God for your life? It's really not nearly as, mystery, as, as mysterious as we tend to, to make it. Most of the time when people are asking, how do I find my calling? What they're asking me is about, how do I find my vocation? But your vocation, your job, as important as it is, is not as important as the center of God's calling for your life, which is something else. God's calling for our lives can be depicted in three concentric circles. And the center of the calling is what you would call your primary calling, and we all share that together. It's the great commandment to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to thereby love others with all you got. Love God and love others. If you do that, you're doing the will of the Lord. And as you love others, you communicate to others the love of God for them. That is the center of our calling. If you are a follower of Christ, this is what he wants for all of us. Love him with all you got and love others, and you're doing the will of the Lord. From there, all of us have what you would call a secondary calling. And many of us share a secondary calling. For example, I share a secondary calling with other husbands or fathers in this room to my immediate family, to be a great husband to Susie, to be a great father to Elijah and Silas. Others share a calling as wives or as mothers, and others still will have a calling. Maybe they're not wives or mothers, maybe they're not husbands and fathers, but they can be spiritual fathers to someone. They can be spiritual mothers to someone. And that work of deep investment in another person for time and for eternity, that's at the center here of our calling along with this primary calling of just living out the great commandment third after that is what you would call vocation and you may not like your job you may hate your job you, you may wish you had another job but you still can live out God's calling for your life live out God's vision live out God's will for your life with about 90% of it as you focus here and you focus there and then you live out from there and perhaps Someday God, God gives you a vocation though, that you really love as well. Maybe, maybe not, but you can know that you're doing the will of the Lord as you pursue that. And friends, this vision that I just put up there, this vision of calling is a game changer. If you grab a hold of that, it changes others' views of what you're doing with your day. It changes your view of what you're doing with your day, and it it redefines if someone's going to judge you but because you're staying at home with your kids. Well, I don't care about your judgment. I'm called by God. Or you work outside of the home. That's fine, too. There's no judgment on that well whatsoever. We've been in all the different phases in our family. There's been times that Susie's worked full-time. Other times she's worked part-time. Other times she's stayed at home. We've been in all those different places. And there's no judgment against any of those. But as long as we're thinking about the grass being greener on the other side, if only I could work in a vocation that I really loved and I didn't have to be with this two-year-old. If only I could just be with that two-year-old all day and I didn't have to work. As long as we're in that grass is always greener on the other side, then it becomes really difficult to embrace the calling that God has put right in front of you today. Now, are you hearing me on this? The, the centerpiece of our calling is the great commandment and then our immediate family. I am dead certain about that scripturally 
So much so that if I ever feel like this job is getting in the way of my calling to my family, that I'm taking greater priority to this and lesser priority to them, that's the day that I quit this pastorate. Like it's, it's that serious to me, and I'm not planning on doing that. Sorry to disappoint a few of you. I hope, okay. Okay, I'm not planning on doing that because I think I figured out a balance there. But, but the, our calling, it matters that much to, to our family. We grab a hold of it, no matter what anyone thinks of it. And again, there's no judgment about working in the home or outside of the home, but it's just saying, I'm not going to be judged by anyone for where I am as I spend time more with my kids. So stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing, not a few things, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves partially to the Lord. Is that what it says? No. It says always do a cannonball off the cliff and give yourself fully to the Lord. And what if we did that as a church? We did a cannonball off the cliff and we gave ourselves fully to the Lord. Well, I mean, what could God do with a church of 1,700 people who have given themselves fully to the Lord? I can only imagine it. And know this, that as you give yourself fully to the Lord, your labor for the Lord is never in vain. He will give you a reward for that someday. Your labor for the Lord is never in vain. And so while other people might roll their eyes as you choose to leave the party scene so that you could be with your kid, reading books to your kid, and playing games, and putting aside the cell phone, and getting down on your knees well with your kid, and enjoying them, and shaping them spiritually for time and for eternity. Other people roll their eyes at that, but God does not roll his eyes at that. He smiles at that. This is a good, good work that God has called you to, moms and grandmas. And just an aside, like if, if the Lord hasn't given you that, you can still live this out. I mean, there are so many examples in the scriptures of men and women who didn't have families of their own, and they were commended for the way they were spiritual mothers or spiritual fathers for someone in the younger generation, for two or three people in the younger generation. I, for one, know that I would not be the pastor I am today, I would not be the father, I wouldn't be the husband that I am today without older men who have chosen to invest in me and I still have a long way to go, Lord knows. But I wouldn't be well what I am today without spiritual fathers who chose to go out of their way and guide me into the right path. That's not a lesser thing. That's the centerpiece, again, of calling. So, we choose to stand firm in the resurrection We are full of faith because the tomb is empty. Jesus is indeed Lord. And because the tomb is empty, we are full of hope. Jesus is indeed Lord. And because the tomb is empty, we know that we will be fully transformed. Jesus is indeed Lord. And because the tomb is empty, we ultimately have the victory. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. So Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that you give us great labor to do in the Lord every day. 
that you've given each and every one of us different labor. You've given each and every one of us a great calling to love you with all we have, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to occupy ourselves daily with the great commandment and the great commission, and then to occupy ourselves with the handful of most significant people that you've chosen to place in our lives. Lord, please help us to live into these great callings. We refuse the lies of this world, that they are less than, that taking care of our kids is less than, that tending to our husbands, tending to our wives is less than. We refuse all those lies from this world, and we choose to invest in the ones that you have given to us for the short years that we have here on earth. Father, we admit that we need your help. None of us are strong enough as mothers or fathers. None of us are strong enough as husbands or wives. We need your help. Lord, for the ways that we have failed, would you please forgive us? That's all of us. All of us in this room have failed our most important relationships. And we don't want to dwell on that, Lord. We don't want to live in guilt. We don't want to live in shame. We want to live in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you're forgiven. 